um, is not comprehensive either in the in like relating death to uh, life or resurrection or you know there's lots of other themes that connect with death. Trying to focus in on death. Um, this is also not particularly a pastoral in a sense of um, you know, I'm not aiming this at people who've recently been bereaved or are currently feeling like they're facing death, although I hope there'll be information that's good for you, but that's not the aim. The aim is to try and look at the Bible and what it says about death. So, um, and I'd also like to say, I'm not, I'm not an expert on the subject of death. Um, and um, I, I do give one lecture on the Bible and death in, in college. Uh, that's in a whole week of studying death and bereavement and funerals and um, ministry uh, in that context for our students. So I, I just do the Bible bit. Um, anyway, so enough of enough of that. Um, I'm going to try and move the slide on to the next slide. Come on. So the first point is there is a lot of death in the Bible. A lot of people die in the Bible. Their, their deaths are talked about and written about, and the vocabulary of death is pretty much everywhere in the Bible. And um, it's interesting when Jesus himself reflects on uh, the Old Testament, he refers once to the, you know, to the history of Israel from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah. Uh, think of deaths from Genesis 4 through to the very end of two Chronicles, which in the Hebrew Bible is the end of Hebrew Bible. And Jesus, you know, in a sense, thinks of the Bible in part as a history of death. Uh, and also actually murder in, the, in those in those two cases. Um, skip point C there, but in a sense, just to make the point that the, in one sense, the whole arc and shape of the Bible is framed by the beginning and end of death. Death begins in the Garden of Eden and death ends in the very end of the book of Revelation. So from Genesis 2 and 3 through the very end of Revelation, there's a big arc of death as the fundamental, one of the fundamental problems facing humanity um, until the time when God declares in the book of Revelation, death shall be no more. Um, and this whole, there's a, the, the tree of life is a kind of contrast to that. Anyway, so there's a lot of death in the Bible. Um, there's a lot of very interesting deaths in the Bible. Um, and um, I'm not going to go through all my favorite fascinating deaths in the Bible tonight. Um, second point is simply to say death is, according to scripture, the universal human experience. Uh, a couple of texts to um, to say that, but in a sense, it's obvious that death is the universal human experience by the fact that everybody dies. Um, it is appointed, says, says the author of Hebrews, it is appointed for people to die once, and after that comes judgment. Or in Paul in Romans, sin came into the world through one man, through Adam, and death entered into the world through sin, and so death spread to all people because all people sinned. So death, death as a consequence of sin, but death spreads to all people. And this is obviously, it's obviously true. There are some exceptions. Okay, just a note, footnote, exception, but exceptions are very rare. So Enoch, um, 
uh, it is said in Genesis, Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. And um, this means he didn't see death, says Hebrews, and he, he ascended directly to God. And Elijah similarly uh, went up in a chariot. Um, anyway, so odd exceptions, but basically everybody dies once, uh, except for people who seem to have died twice. Um, so there's a series of people in the Bible who die and are raised back to life, either by a prophet, like Elijah or Elisha in the Old Testament, or by the Lord Jesus in the Gospels, people like Jairus' daughter, the son of the widow of Nain, people like Lazarus, um, or in the book of Acts, Dorcas and Eutychus. Now, I'm assuming, as everybody assumes, these people died again. Their, uh, their raising was not a resurrection of the type that Jesus was. Um, but of course, it's not in the, read in the Bible that these people all died again, but I'm just sort of assuming that there are odd exceptions to the um, people die once is that some people have died twice. Anyway, these are like minor exceptions. And the final exception, we'll come to see, they look at this passage a bit later. Um, the exception will be those who are, those people are still alive when Jesus returns, uh, who won't, won't see death. Um, they'll transition in another another fashion. So stick to the main point, don't worry about the exceptions. Death is the universal human experience. Um, and in the Bible, grief um, at uh, people who die, that's absolutely normal, that's completely expected, that's told uh, time and time again that people lament and weep. There's a list of passages there, I'm not going to go through, just to recall the most famous one, of course, and the shortest verse in the Bible, um, where Jesus wept at the death of his friend Lazarus. Then um, that just shows, in a sense, how, and of course, at that point, loads of other people were weeping and lamenting as well, but it's notable that John focuses in on that. Uh, customary all through scripture for people to be buried. In fact, the little phrase, you know, so-and-so died and was buried, um, is um, just all the way through the Bible. And to some extent, there's, there's um, you know, unburied bodies just in the open. That's um, quite a shameful thing in, in the scripture. And uh, very often you see this in the um, books of Moses, especially the place where people are buried and the memorial associated with the place is also important. So that's, uh, that's, just um, an aspect of uh, death, burial's the norm. Uh, remembering is, um, is, is, is fine. And um, now, of course, there's a touch in the New Testament that uh, we'll see. Uh, Christians have a different sort of grief, just from worldly grief, because of the hope that we have for life beyond death. Um, as Paul says in Thessalonians, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who have died, so you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. If we had a bit more time, we could look at um, inscriptions from the first century that show um, the sort of attitude of hopelessness that um, people in the Greco-Roman world had about death. Um, maybe cheerful resignation to it, but utter hopelessness about um, surviving death. Uh, and by contrast, of course, the New Testament proclaims uh, through the resurrection of Jesus, a life. Anyway, we'll, get, we'll come back to this. 
Um, so that's the third point. Grief is normal and expected and so on. Uh, now this is like a few other points I sort of want to make very quickly, but move on uh, beyond. One is in the Old Testament, um, there's quite a concern to that the people of Israel should not go around consulting the dead. Any sort of magic or consultation or this is um, this is condemned, you know, massively as a as a foreign abomination that Israel should never um, be involved in. And if you want to look more, there's there's plenty of text there if you want to look later. Just just that's um, an interesting thing. Um, even though there's a very curious passage in 1 Samuel 28 where Saul calls Saul um, calls up Samuel. Um, and uh, but this this is an abominable practice according to scripture. And second sub point here from the Old Testament especially is uh, is and it says we don't know anything about when we die. The time of our death is not in our hands. It's in the Lord's hands. Um, even strikingly, um, you know, the Lord kills and the Lord brings to life. It's up to the Lord. Or in Ecclesiastes, no person has the power to retain his spirit. No person has authority over the day of, of death. Or well, the Lord himself, of course, uh, says, which of you, by being anxious, can add one cubit to the span of his life. We can't add the span of his life and we shouldn't subtract from the span of our life. We just have, we, it's not something in our control. That's, there's some points. Fundamentally, I think we say the Bible sees in a way that Paul summarizes, uh, the Bible sees the death as the final enemy. This is a quote, of course, from what Paul says in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15, really a chapter fundamentally about the resurrection hope, but um, resurrection is always resurrection from the dead, from among the dead. Um, and uh, resurrection of Jesus is the anticipation of the final victory over death that's not, not present yet. And so that's what, what Paul says in that chapter, Jesus must reign and rule until he's put all enemies under his feet. That's the great hope. And the final enemy to be destroyed is death. And there's this phrase later on where Paul says, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal, the thing that dies, the body, puts on immortality, at that time, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. In other words, victory, the victory of God over death, um, swallows up death and de death disappears. Um, quoting Isaiah 25, which is a text we'll come back to. And of course, as I said before, the whole book of the Bible, the whole book, the whole sh shape of the Bible comes to a focal point on this subject in the end of the book of Revelation, this famous passage from Revelation 21. I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling of God is with men. People, he will dwell with them. They shall be his people and God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. 
Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And it says both Paul and uh, the writer of the book of Revelation echo this famous, fabulous prophecy in the book of Isaiah, chapter 25, where, um, you know, God says there's this veil, this, this covering over the whole world. Um, it, it will destroy this mountain, the covering is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord will wipe away tears from all faces. So this kind of universal veil this sort of, that God promises, there'll come a day when, when death will be defeated. And Paul and Revelation pick up this prophecy. Um, in fact, other texts in the New Testament do as well. So there's a kind of finality to the ultimate victory over death. Time check, go quicker. Um, sorry, there's a note to myself, go, go quicker. Um, uh, you can't hear me anyway, is anybody there? Yes, people are still there. What happens to the believer after death? Okay, so um, uh, what happens when we die? Okay, our bodies are buried and there's some kind of continuity of our personhood. We used to call it soul that sort of language doesn't go so but there's a continuity of bible says there's a continuity of our personhood through death and beyond death now um i could say that it's interesting the bible isn't like entirely 100 percent like clear exactly of what you know what order things happen in and how things relate and um but let's read the text some key texts Jesus, remember, says to the man on the cross uh, who repents, the criminal, truly, I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. And Paul has the same idea that, you know, death is a going to be with Christ. A, a being with the Lord is what happens when we die. Uh, uh, which is one strand of the New Testament teaching. The other strand is very much the resurrection strand. Uh, that our bodies will be raised in a new glorious manner fashioned after the model of the risen Jesus. So we get that more in 1 Thessalonians, the passage I referred to before, which is prefaced by, I want you, you know, not to grieve like those who have no hope. Since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep, which is another Bible way of talking about people who died, those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, shall not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the archangel's call, and with the sound of the trump of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, shall be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we shall always be with the Lord. Anyway, so here we have a um, Paul writing to, to a church where people had died. And he's saying, like, people have died and no, they're not at a disadvantage. They're actually at an advantage. They'll be raised first and then those who are still alive who don't have the, don't experience death, experience a different sort of transition into the presence of the Lord, into being with the Lord. Um, well, um, so there's, a, so there's this is the exception, people who won't die at the end. Now, 
Um, okay, so how to fit all this together? We could you could ask me that question if you like later. I'll still say hmm, that's a good question. Um, and because um, we have the other um, language in a sense of resurrection, that that you know the Lord Jesus will change our body to be like His glorious body. So not just transition to being with anyway. It's all good. Being with the Lord and raised with a body like the Lord, they're both good. Got to keep moving, otherwise we'll... Other types of death. Okay, so we mostly think about like death, like um, the end of life and uh, what we would normally think of as by death. But the Bible in quite a few different ways, and this is only three of them, quite a few different ways, uses death in a figurative, sometimes metaphorical way for non-literal things, but which which can be described by the same terminology of death. And um, uh, I'm running short on time, so I'm not going to focus on this slide. Um, and uh, I'm going to come back to it. So you can be dead in your sin before God makes us alive. You can die to sin by God's uh, transformation of us. And we can die with Christ by entering into his death experience by a unity with them. They're all really, they're all really important themes, but we've only got three minutes for every point. And I'm still looking at my clock. And uh, I think we're gonna make it to the end if I don't spend too much long on this slide, because there's lots of good stuff in some other slides. <sighs> Especially I need a drink now. It's just coffee. What does the gospel say? Gospel says uh, Christ's death is a fundamentally important thing. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. That's like Paul's summary of the gospel that he learnt and he passed on as of first importance. And in the New Testament, the gospel accounts all give a substantial amount of space to the account of Jesus' death on the cross. Jesus died, he really died, brutally, totally, and completely, and he was buried. And surprisingly, the and he was buried uh, echoes through the New Testament in significant ways. But Jesus' death is a death, as Paul says, for our sins. It's a death for things, isn't it? That's the good news of the gospel. Um, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, for the benefit of the sheep. Uh, the Son of Man gives his life as a ransom for many. And, of course, uh, in the words of institution in the Lord's Supper, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So, so much uh, of the gospel blessing comes from Jesus' death for us. Um, of course, uh, there's the resurrection as well, which I'm slightly not i'm just simply not focusing on right now so for a fully balanced theology you want to get them both but we're not focusing on that tonight what does the gospel say about death um it says that jesus abolishes death and brings life paul in his um pretty sure his last letter and he's facing death in 2 Timothy and thinking about his own death um, and um, in, in prison and suffering. Do not be ashamed, he says to Timothy, 
of testifying to our Lord, nor even of me as prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel and the power of God, who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not in virtue of our works, but in virtue of his own purpose and the grace which he gave us in Christ Jesus ages ago, and now has manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Hence the whole language of life and eternal life, which runs through the New Testament uh, um, positively, our experience of eternal life. Um, uh, secondly, what does the gospel says? It says, Jesus delivers us from the fear of death. Quite explicitly in Hebrews, it talks about this. Um, Again, think about Jesus's um, incarnation and death together. Since therefore the children, that's us, the children, share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same nature. He, he partook of our human nature. So that through death he might destroy him who has the power of death, that is a devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong bondage. Jesus delivers, delivers us from the fear of death. And, um, of course, um, another, I mean, there's a few other fundamental things we could say, but anyway, I've just tried to focus down on um, particular things. Um, Jesus delivers us from God's judgment on sin. As I said before, it's appointed for everyone to die once, and after that comes judgment. But in the gospel... There is uh, no judgment on us because Christ has borne it. As, as Paul says in Romans, God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, these are famous words, of course, Christ died for us. Since therefore we are now justified by his blood, his blood as an aspect, you know, expression of his death, much more shall we be saved from him, from the wrath of God. That's, that's God's judgment on sin which we are saved from by Jesus' death. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. That's the other side of the coin, that the death of Jesus and his resurrection are both fundamentally important for our salvation. Not only so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received our reconciliation. And there's a typo there, forget the bit at the end. <laughs> Extra words. They're not really meant to be there. Um, so what does the gospel say? It says Christ died for our sins. And what does it say? It says the good news. Uh, uh, Jesus abolishes death. He brings life and immortality, light in the gospel. He delivers his people, that's us, from the fear of death. And he delivers us from God's judgment on sin. Brings us um, home to, to God. So um, that's all good. And then finally, what does the gospel say? It says, um, death, death, no more than anything else in life, death won't separate God from, the, from his people. As Paul says in Romans, kind of climax in, in Romans 8, the kind of final bit, famous bit in Romans 8, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Um, okay, the answer is no one, but we're going to go through a few options. Shall tribulation, shall that separate us from the love of Christ? Shall distress, 
persecution, famine, nakedness, or peril, or the sword. Um, many of which things Christians in Rome suffered within about 10 years of this letter. Um, shall they separate from the love of, God, love of Christ? No. As it is written, for thy sake we have been killed all the day. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Not good, not, not a good look, but that's that may be God's purpose. That was for some Christians in Rome. No, says Paul, in all these things we're more than conquerors for him who loved us, for I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else, nor creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So death, this is why Christians can have confidence. Uh for the previous three reasons, but because God's love connects us to him and God's love is not broken by any of these events, especially not by death. Oh, that's it. Wow, we got to the end. That was 10 points in, um, I, think, I think we're on time. I think, we're, I, think we're, I think we did okay. So um, the whole idea of this evening is not to like punch this out to an extra long um, kind of, disquisition but to punch out 10 points about death that might raise our thinking and our hopefulness in in god's love and now i'm going to break out to